As we uh, come to God's word, uh, which I'm going to read shortly and, and teach us from, let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is indeed a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. And because you have redeemed us, that you have rescued us, we want to give our whole lives to worship you. So as we come to this new year, we pray that our hearts would be open to be taught by you, that you would teach us new things about yourself, that you would humble us and correct us where we're wrong, that you'd encourage us where we're weak, that you would fan into flame our love for you. We pray that at the end of this year, we would love you more than we do now. And as part of that, please make our hearts and our minds receptive to what you have to say to us. Please help us to be a church that listens to your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, uh, we start the service with the Monday morning groans. Um, perhaps you've made a New Year's resolution. It's something we often do, isn't it, as we start the new year. A promise we make to ourselves, maybe to our families. Um, I had a little flick through the internet. I was just interested to see what people kind of uh, promise themselves as their New Year's resolution. Um, I went to that reliable source of information, The Sun. Uh, one of the things that comes up in the sun at this time of year is uh, this 12-week The New Me diet. And uh, it was very funny as some commentators were really taking the mick out of this uh, article saying that you have to eat through all of the junk food in the house to remove the temptation. Uh, the problem is that the junk food just keeps coming back in, so that never really works. Uh, maybe your New Year's resolution is to actually catch up on the resolutions you made in 2011, 2012, 2013. Uh, here's one for the teenagers. Uh, the Guardian, another reliable source of information, uh, says, sleep your way to New Year's resolution success. You'll be pleased to know, a few nods up the top there. Apparently there's a strong positive correlation between sleeping well and achieving your ambitions. Uh, and as part of this article, uh, they dragged in some scientists who were saying, make sure you avoid using your smartphone and your tablets just before you go to bed because uh, apparently they emit blue light and blue light stimulates your brain and stops you sleeping. So there you go, sleep your way to New Year's resolution success. Uh, one other, which is a little bit more positive perhaps, uh, Time magazine, uh, published in New York City, said, uh, make your New Year's resolution to make someone else smile. It's nice, isn't it? But it struck me, and I actually wrote a blog about this. It's on the website, just trying to reflect about New Year, so you could perhaps read that. And there's a few book reviews that I want to encourage us as a church to perhaps read. Um, so you can go online and have a look at the blog. But... It struck me as I looked at New Year's resolutions, so often the resolutions that we make are all about us. Things that ultimately will make us feel better about ourselves. Or, but they're quite us-centered. What will make me happy? And so I was thinking, well, what would be good for us as a church to think about in terms of a New Year's resolution that's not all about us? And the thing that I'd like to speak about this morning is relationships. Because relationships are the glue that holds us together as families as a church family, and relationship is what life is all about. God made us for relationship with him, with one another. Relationship's absolutely vital as a church. But you and I will know that relationships are messy, aren't they? Um, probably because there's a dynamic in a relationship. We've all got different personalities, different temperaments. Sometimes that can rub other people up the wrong way. Sometimes that can frustrate us. Uh, partly it's because we've all got different worldviews. Sure, most people here have a Christian worldview, which is very different perhaps to the view of the world that everyone else has. But even within a Christian worldview, we've got different things that we want to emphasize. We've got different understandings, and that can cause tension. And then you throw into the mix kind of the whole authority thing, that we've all got this funny mix of pride and humility. And that plays out in all of us in different ways. 
And some days we can be proud, other days we can be humble, but we're a mixture of the two. And that makes relationships really difficult. And then, of course, there's just the baggage that we bring to relationships. There's frustration from the past, bitterness. Maybe we've got different expectations. We've been let down by people. Perhaps we've been misunderstood. So relationships are really messy, aren't they? Uh, So I want to teach us uh, the grace. It's going to come up on the screen here. You know the grace that we say to each other? Should we say the grace together? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And we say evermore. I don't know if you know that that's a, the grace is something we say in church a lot. I don't know if you know that it's the last verse in a letter called 2 Corinthians. It comes straight out of the Bible. And I thought, as we start this new year and we're thinking about relationships, this is a great verse for us to perhaps unpack a bit more. And I thought it would be helpful for us to spend some time thinking about something that we say to one another in church quite regularly. Uh, to really grasp all that it's saying, because it's packed full of great truths for us. If you've got your Bible open, I'd encourage you as well to keep uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 open, just because there's a couple of verses around this one that I want to point out to us. But if you have your Bible there, in the verses that come just before this one, uh, Paul really calls us to action, calls the church to action, uh, saying, what is it that we are to do? I'll just read a few of his instructions. He says... Verse 11, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. That's a kind of summary of the instructions that he gives to his people in this letter. But then verse 14, which is the grace, really unpacks how is that possible? How do we live these relationships in church? But before we jump in, I just want us to understand this is a really remarkable way of ending this letter. So I'm just going to put some verses on the screen, which are basically kind of uh, waypoints or markers through the letter of 2 Corinthians that help us understand that for Paul to say this after all that's happened in his first letter, 1 Corinthians, and into 2 Corinthians, it's kind of remarkable. So just uh, walk with me on these, because it'll help you understand where we're going. Paul wrote the first letter, 1 Corinthians, to a church that was struggling with pride, struggling with immaturity. And so he had to write quite a firm letter to them to rebuke them. Sometimes Christian leaders have to rebuke the people that they've been given to look after. And he did that, and many of the church didn't like that rebuke. And so this is the result. Chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians Paul pleads with the church, says, please make room for us in your hearts. Because certain people in the church didn't like the way that Paul was being with them. He didn't like the way that he was teaching them and leading them. He particularly didn't like the rebuke. So he challenges them and says, please make room for you in our hearts, in your hearts. And he goes on in chapter 7 and says, listen, look, if I caused you sorrow in my letter, I didn't regret it. But he's not being nasty, he's not being egotistical. He unpacks at the end of the letter that as a leader of the churches, he has been given a God-given authority. And that authority is to build up, not to tear down. And so he says, the reason I wrote what I wrote was written in love for your good. And I know it hurt you, Corinthians, but I love you. And sometimes love has to be tough. And then then verse 12, he says, look, I'm, I'm afraid of you. 
he's written these hard things, but he does fear the Corinthians. I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and slander. See, Paul is worried that the church won't receive his rebuke well. And so he comes and he writes this letter. This, uh, and he particularly writes this. And it's a remarkable end to a letter because Paul is, is worried. I mean, think about his experience. He has a deep love for the people he'd been putting their char- into his charge. But he's also facing great frustration with them. And he's also fearful of them. And that whole mix is the kind of mix that we all live in in our relationships. If you look around this room, we love each other. We get frustrated with each other. Sometimes uh, we don't get on and we fear one another. That's just the mix and mess of relationships. And into that mess, he then speaks this, the grace. And I've kind of broken it down with this, just so you can see that there's a structure to what he says. And I just want us to walk through this verse together so that when we speak it to each other in church, it actually means more to us. So the first thing he focuses on is grace. Do you understand grace? I once described, I think in an evening service, grace being a bit like trying to grab hold of a wet bar of soap. You kind of grab hold of it and it just flies out of your hand. Grace sometimes is something that becomes so familiar to us that actually we fail to understand all that it means. The reason that's so difficult for us is because as human beings, our default is always towards work. What can I do to earn dot, dot, dot? I don't deserve this, so what can I do? And the grace of God is run so counter to the way that we naturally think. So I, I just want us to think really, do I understand grace? Because I may know it up here, but have I really experienced it in here? Paul unpacks grace a little bit more in the, the middle of this letter. Just have a read of that verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. See, this really unpacks a little bit more about what grace is. Grace involves a swap. Do you notice in the verse there? Speaking of Jesus, he was rich, but he became poor. Grace involves a swap. Grace involves giving. It talks about giving riches to the poor. Grace is all about giving. And the remarkable thing about the way that God has shown us his grace is he's given to people who don't deserve it. Grace is undeserved. I think Neil, I forget where I heard this, but over Christmas I heard an illustration, I think it was Neil in one of the sermons, he said that there's a story told of a, a man, I think it was in New York City, who was homeless, and someone one Christmas gave him a gift, some money, to be a blessing to him. And he didn't go out to buy some clothes, or some food, or some cigarettes, or something to drink. He went to some shops and bought loads of little gifts, and then went to all the other homeless people, and gave them gifts. And It's kind of remarkable. Why did he do that? And apparently his response was, I just wanted the means to be able to give. Because giving is so special. We love to give. And God loves to give. Have you ever compared the living God with all the false gods of the world? The God of the Bible who loves us longs to give to us. He's a God who gives all the time. The false gods of this world demand all the time. What are you going to do for me, they say. And God says, what have I done for you? That's what stands the living God out from all the false gods in the world. God loves to give. So grace involves a swap, involves giving. 
And obviously it involves love. Do you notice on that verse he said, yet for your sake. See, there's not always something in it for the giver. But that's the point of grace. It's given because it will be a blessing to the person who receives it. So grace is something that has to be received. And I fear sometimes we know grace up here and we see it out there. But God is like holding grace out to us. I just want to ask you as you start 2015, have you taken hold of his grace? Do you know it in here? Is it real to you? The fact that you can come to him when you're broken and struggling. And he doesn't ask anything of you. He just says, come to me when you're weary and burdened and I will give you rest. When the mess of your life is weighing you down, he just says, come to me and I will free you from it. Sometimes we just don't believe that is true. That's why I opened with that question, do you really understand grace? But we need to know the grace of God and experience it for ourselves before as a church we can be gracious towards one another. So I really want to challenge each of you this year. Will you model grace to one another in this church, particularly those who rub you up the wrong way, where personalities clash, where you've been hurt by past hurts? Will you model the sort of grace that Christ has modeled to us, a grace that gives the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes then on and says, and the love of God. Have a look at verse 11 if you have a Bible open. I love the emphasis here, the love of God. See, it's the fact that God is a God of love, that God is love, that he's the source of all love, that enables him to love. And when God loves, he loves perfectly. God is the greatest lover in the world. He will love you far more than a friend could, than a parent could, than a husband or wife could. God is a God of love. Just as I asked you at the beginning, do you really know the grace of God in your own life? Here's another question for you. Do you really know that you are loved? Do you really know that? Not just kind of loved, but really loved. When God looks at you, he just delights in you. Even when you screw up. Even when you make a mess of things, even when you feel you've got nothing to give, he just looks at you and delights in you and says, I love you. That's a remarkable truth. When we pray this prayer to one another, the love of God, it's not just something sentimental. Oh, God loves you. Isn't that nice? It's something that's robust. God loves you. It's like he's putting his arms around you and he will not let you go. There's something profoundly powerful about his love for you. And just like grace, which is about giving, the love of God is deeply sacrificial too. Think about how God has loved you. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. It's a great verse. Love is all about giving. And again, if love for one another is to be a reality in our life, we have to first experience the love of God for ourselves. Because if you don't know God's love, you can't live it and share it with other people. So here's a little challenge for you. Just as I challenge you to model grace in your relationships with one another in this church, in this year, what could you do to love other people? Sometimes there's the lavish acts of love that we do. You know, maybe you've got a really great present this Christmas and it was pretty lavish of a person to give it to you. I think, though, more significantly, sometimes love is expressed in the little things. You know, I've, since I've been here, since Steph and I moved here, 
Sometimes it's been the small things that people have done for us that have meant the most. The small gift, the small text of encouragement, uh, the small just arm around the shoulder where they don't actually say anything, but you just know that they care. What could you do this year that may just be that small act of love that would help us as a church to grow closer to one another? Because sometimes we don't do these little acts because we think, oh, they're so insignificant. But you know when someone has done that small thing for you, but done it in love, it's meant so much. These little acts of love are an expression of God's great love, which he's poured out to each of us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit I often laugh when I see this word in the Bible because it's got these kind of wet connotations in our culture, fellowship. You probably think fellowship is coming to church, wearing sandals, eating quiche and singing Shine Jesus Shine. Kind of fellowship, that's what we do as Christians. It's pretty cringy and as soon as I can get out the door and go home, the better. But if you understand that word fellowship in its biblical context, fellowship is something that's deeply robust. It's much more about kind of rubbing shoulders with one another. It's something that goes much deeper. It's really about doing life with each other. And the amazing thing about fellowship, true biblical fellowship, is it it has a reality in life that people can see. People see true uh, fellowship. Uh, If you have a look at verse 12, um, it says here, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now don't worry, I'm not going to suggest that that's how we greet one another. That's a cultural expression of saying, when you meet other people in church... They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And in that culture, to kiss one another was a way of saying, I accept you just as you are, and I love you. In our culture, it could be the handshake, it could be the smile, it could be walking over and putting an arm around someone. Greet one another with a holy kiss. But you know that word kiss comes from another Greek word that means friend. Because fellowship is all about friendship. And the amazing thing about fellowship and friendship is it replaces bitterness We are called to be friends with one another. One of the things that really encouraged me when we got together as men to sort of relaunch the men's ministry last term is a number of the men said, I really want to develop far more dynamic relationships with other men in this church. I want us to do life together. I want to rub shoulders with other men. I want to be honest about how I'm doing. I get really frustrated, and I do it as well, when someone says, how are you doing? And I go, yeah, I'm fine, how are you? I've not even listened to what they said, let alone engaged with it. Sometimes we struggle. And it's good for us in church with people who love us to say, you know, I'm actually struggling. I'm not okay. And I'd love you to pray for me. You don't have to necessarily pour out my heart before people. It's not always appropriate. But to have a kind of fellowship where within this church we truly love each other and we are friends. And the amazing thing is it's only God the Holy Spirit who can take all of us and look around. We're a pretty mixed bunch and can help us to be friends with each other. Robust, true friendship. Here's a challenge for you then. I've given us three challenges. One is to model grace in our relationship. One is to love one another in the little things. This challenge within fellowship is this idea of, can I challenge you this year to move towards the pain? When someone hurts you or upsets you, when there's tension between you and another person, move towards them and try and love them as a friend, as a brother and sister in Christ. Don't move away from them. I love reading um, adventure novels and stuff. I love Ernest Shackleton, the great explorer. 
Um, one of his sledges that um, he went on one of his great trips was up in my school, and um, there's some link with the school I was at. So I, I've always loved Anna Shackleton. I've got a great book about Christian leadership written by a woman who's basically studied Anna Shackleton and all his adventures. And she makes one of these points on leadership. She says, whenever Shackleton was struggling with someone on his expedition, perhaps someone who was physically weak or complaining or moaning, he always moved towards them. They had to share um, tents, they had to share sleeping bags because it was so cold. And he always got the grumbler, the person he didn't like, in his tent. Because that was his way of stepping towards the pain. Can I encourage you this year, perhaps, if you've left 2014 with some sort of friction with someone, how could you work at this fellowship by moving towards that person and trying to grow a friendship with them? Maybe that means you need to be more accepting of their personality, Perhaps they need to be more accepting of yours. But the Holy Spirit enables this friendship, this fellowship with each other, which is really completely unnatural. But that's what he does. We'll just notice as we come to a close, this prayer that Paul has prayed is enabled by God. Have a look at verse 11. Paul makes it really clear there is one God. He says, the God of love and peace be with you all. There is one God. But the amazing reality of God is that he exists and he works as Trinity. Tri-unity of Father, Son and Spirit. We're just going to watch a short video clip. Sorry, can you just pause it? Sorry about that. Uh, I want us to understand that because God is a God of unity he's a god of relationship he longs that our relationships with one another are healthy i watched a short video clip this week that was put together for church pastors to help us deal with criticism and one of the hardest things as a church leader is criticism because little criticisms can hugely discourage when you're giving out so much but i thought there was loads in this little video that helps all of us deal with the criticisms that we might sometimes face so can we just watch this together because i think it'd be a blessing to us there's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? And uh, that's why I wanted to share it with all of us, because it's something for all of us to think about as we uh, move into this new year. But there, there is the grace. The grace, notice the three things in red there. The grace is the grace of the Lord Jesus. The love is the love of God. The fellowship is what is enabled by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul ends... He speaks about grace, love and fellowship being with you all. Because this is really a prayer, a gift that God wants to give all of us. And just notice if you look at what's in blue there, grace, love and fellowship. Do you see how it flows? See, it's experiencing, not just knowing the grace of God, but truly experiencing the grace of God that then opens the door for us to know the love of God. And it's when we truly know the love of God that we will be able to live and fuel genuine fellowship and friendship with one another. See, it's the gospel that is right at the heart of relationships. And if, as our New Year's resolution as a church, we want relationships to be at the very heart of all that we're about, then we need to keep the gospel front and centre in all that we do. Let's pray together. Just give you a moment of quiet just to reflect in your own heart on all that God has been saying to you today. 
Heavenly Father, I pray for us all as a church that as we move into this new year, that these familiar words would be real and fresh to us. We want to thank you and praise you this morning for your incredible grace that has given to us all that we do not deserve. And I pray that we would respond to that grace by modelling grace in our relationships with each other. We thank you for the love of God that is so perfect and complete, that's hold us secure. And we pray that you would help us to love one another in the little things. And we thank you for the dynamism and of fellowship, the relationship that you enable amongst one another, the friendship that your Holy Spirit enables. And we pray that you would help us to foster relationships with each other that are real, that are dynamic. Please give us humility when we face criticism. And please help us to move towards the pain and to seek to be friends with those we find difficult. Thank you that we have your spirit within us that unites us. Loving Father, we praise you for the riches of this one verse and we pray that it would continue to be real to us each and every time we speak these words to you and to one another in the year ahead. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Can I encourage you, some, some here I know are finding things difficult at the moment, and this year is a daunting one with much uncertainty. If you're struggling, just encourage you to find someone who perhaps is doing a bit better at the moment, and just ask them to pray with you after the service. Don't just rush off. There will be people at the front here who will pray with you, but perhaps you could just pray with people around you in your seats, um, and just remember, God's grace is enough. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that we've been reminded of this morning. I thank you for that truth that your grace is enough. And I pray this morning we would not just know that in our minds, but we would feel it and experience it in our hearts. That you would lead us into this year with great joy and with a determination to trust you because you are good. We thank you for this money and all the money that's given to the life of this church that enable us to proclaim the great gospel that we love of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost world. And we pray that you'd use this money to the honour of your name. Be with us now, I pray, and help us to serve you in the week ahead. Amen. Let's close with the grace, and hopefully we'll understand it a little better, and we can say it with a bit more meaning to one another. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all evermore. Amen.